0: Hey, TalkHouse listeners, it's your host, Elia Einhorn. Thanks so much for tuning in. This virus and quarantine has brought, I mean, infinite terrible things with it. But I do want to take a moment to celebrate a ray of sunshine, which is some truly incredible live-from-their-home sets from brilliant artists. Because I spend my daytimes working to keep this show on track during these crazy-ass times and raising my two-and-a-half-year-old daughter, Conway, I tend to get on Instagram for the later shows. So I've caught some amazing nighttime sets from Frankie Cosmos, multiple Manny Fresh DJ sets, Talib Kweli spinning and ad-libbing, and relevant to today's broadcast, The Tweety Show, the new nightly show from Jeff Tweedy and his family. Jeff, his wife Susie, and their sons Spencer and Sammy broadcast whatever they feel like, live versions of Wilco songs, a chat with Jeff Garland, or Tweety's from a dream song, Grandma's a Cyborg Now. The show's on Instagram each weeknight at 9 Central. One great famo who's been tuning in is Abby Jacobson, she of Broad City and so much more. And today's Talk House podcast episode, which first aired in December 2018, features Abby and Jeff in amazing live conversation. Listeners, we're going to play you the whole show as it originally aired, and after you listen, definitely take a few minutes to check out the new Mavis Staples song, All In It Together, that Jeff produced and sang on, as well as Spencer Tweedy's past TalkHouse podcast appearances with Nehigh and Whitney. Let's do it.
1: Hi, this is Carrie Brownstein. This is
0: DJ Premier. This is Darren Aronofsky. You got the whistle right here. Rose McGowan. Right Aisha Tyler. Tron Quest. Fred Armisen. Prince Paul. Javier Munoz, Seth Meyers. Tracy
1: Cosmos. Flying Lotus. Hi, we're Haim, and you're listening to the TalkHouse podcast. Hi. What's
0: up? I'm Elia Einhorn. Welcome back to the Talk House podcast. I am here in wintry Chicago, but I'm joined from Hook and Fade Studios in Bushwick, Brooklyn by Nick Dawson, editor-in-chief of Talk House Home. How you doing, buddy? Good, good, man. Good to hear your voice. Now, Nick, this is an episode I have been really excited to release. This is a conversation that took place just last month at a completely sold-out Murmur Theater in Brooklyn. Now, Murmur is one of my favorite venues in town, and getting to see Jeff Tweedy in conversation with Abby Jacobs in there was a real treat. Yeah, shy city versus broad city. What a pair. <laughs> well, I'm glad to be in Chicago for this particular intro, Nick, because this is, of course, the land of Wilco. This is Jeff Tweedy's town. Now, Jeff, through his early band with Jay Farrar, Uncle Tupelo, then as the frontman of Wilco, and then Tweedy, the family band that also features TalkHouse regular Spencer Tweedy, his son, and now into his solo records, has assembled a body of work that is experimental, yet accessible. It's melancholic, yet joyful. Absolutely. And of course, on
2: top of all that body of work, he's adding to it with a new book. Let's go, in parentheses, so we can get back. A memoir of recording and discording with Wilco, etc.
0: But wait, Nick, there's more. What? There's more? (laughs) He's also just dropped a fantastic new solo album, Warm. This guy cannot be stopped. Now, one thing that Jeff Tweedy fans know is this guy is a huge fan of comedy. For sure. He has guested on Parks and Rec. He's
2: been on Portlandia. And so, in a way, the perfect person to talk to him was a
0: buddy of his he met a couple years ago at a music festival, Abby Jacobson. Nick, it was so great to catch up with Abby backstage at this event. She'd been on our podcast previously with the great Samantha Irby, where Sam and Abby accidentally announced Abby's Then, forthcoming book, which has now become a big hit I Might Regret This Essays, Drawings, Vulnerabilities, and Other Stuff. That just came out on October 30th.
2: I I love it when people announce stuff. On our podcast, whether it's intentional or not. <laughs> a little bit like Tweety. She's sort of in this new phase of her career where she is sort of transitioning from one mode to another. She had five scenes of Broad City, which was the show that established her. She's now the lead voice actor on Matt Groening's Disenchantment. She has a book out and does a pretty great job for us a couple of times a year as a talkhouse interviewer.
0: Hey, hey, I am never going to complain when Abby wants to come on the show. And she did a great job here with Jeff. They get into a lot. First off, of course, it was so cool to hear about their difficulties writing books after focusing their entire careers on completely different types of writing.
2: Yeah, I mean, sitting down and writing a book in chapters, doing prose rather than a screenplay or or lyrics, that's a very different thing.
0: Yeah, and and along that note, Nick, it was so funny to hear the two of them compare Jeff's songs to Abby's character in Broad City, certainly something I had never thought of.
2: No, same here. I had just assumed that these guys would be so different, but they really have this great rapport. And I have to admit, I didn't realize that Jeff was trying to
0: start a comedy career. I think we've got another big announcement in this podcast. (laughs) Now... In this very thoughtful, very funny conversation, the two also cover opening up about mental health and addiction.
2: That was such a fascinating section for me. I I think it's such an important thing for people to do, people who are idolized like Tweety is. And he had some very powerful things to say about that. There's one incredible story that he told about this group therapy session and, and somebody that he spoke to during that. That was amazing.
0: Parenthetically, that story ended up as a song on his new album, Warm. We also hear about how Jeff's book was so quote virile that it made Abby wanna I'm gonna quote again, have some fucking kids. <laughs> Absolutely. We have
2: Tweety's deep love of pizza. I am fully with him on this one. The pluses and minuses of softball. This could cause some controversy, but I'm team Tweety too.
0: The man is never wrong. <laughs> and we also hear about his secret superpower. Should we roll it, Nick? Let's roll it
1: Wow
3: <laughs> Wow I thought a train was going by
1: <laughs> Um thanks for inviting me to talk with you <laughs>
3: <laughs> I'm So happy you agreed to do this.
1: Um, I'm so nervous, guys, as I'm sure all of you are. (laughs) Um, Real quick, I'm going to tell you a little anecdote about how we met. I went to this festival in Marfa, and Wilco was playing, and my friend kind of runs the festival, and I think I, like, met you very briefly before, and then my friend comes up to me after the show, and she was like, Jeff? wants you? (laughs) There's all these really cool people there. She's like, Jeff wants you to come hang out. And I was like, (laughs) me? What? And then I hung out and ate pizza in the tour bus. (laughs) The rest is history. Here we are.
3: Here we are. This is it.
1: Guys, you all have this book now, right? It is... So good, it really is. Wow. I, I read it, I was just on my book tour and I read it while I was on my book tour. It was like my companion. I'm,
3: I'm gonna read your book on my book tour. <laughs> wow,
1: <laughs> you're what... living opposite lives. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, I'm, I'm gonna dive in. I'm really interested in learning about people's processes and creatively. And obviously you um, are constantly writing music and you're a poet. What was it like moving into this... Are you not? You write about being... Oh, no, yeah, I am. (laughs) Totally. Is that a thing that you're like, you wouldn't label yourself as?
3: Uh, It's the Belleville, Illinois in me still recoils at the... Someone else could call me a poet, so thank you. Calling myself a poet still makes me a little nervous. It's
1: an uncontrollable head tilt. Yeah,
3: it's just like, oh, yeah, no, okay, we're doing that now. We're a poet, huh? (laughs) (laughs) Right.
1: <laughs> but moving into this longer format, you write in the end about how you've been collecting kind of thoughts and ideas and memories and stuff. But what was it like? What was the process in in finding the framework for this book and figuring out, or even like wanting to do this in the first place?
3: The origin story for this book is pretty uh, uneventful or I don't know, It's it's more like... Somebody asked if you want to write a book. Do you want to write a book? And I said, I guess. (laughs) Now, I think I really didn't believe. I think I thought I was calling someone's bluff when they said that there would be interest in you writing a book. And I said, sure, there is. And then they they actually found uh, someone that was interested in me writing a book. And so it was a real opportunity that I thought I should take before... Uh, I get older and no one asks me again.
1: <laughs> All right, that's a good call. Yeah. Um. In um, I just went through this experience of of changing up my format in terms of essays and figuring out like chapters. Um. Did you do you feel comfortable or were you was it a a nervous thing in terms of? Oh, I'm gonna. How do I frame this story? I mean, obviously, it's you're telling your story, but there's a lot of. Um... Oh, I
3: was I was terrified yeah. of writing prose. I have written almost no prose in my life, uh, including uh, emails, <laughs> including uh, turning in essays at, in school. That's prim- primarily why I I almost flunked out of creative writing in high school. So, uh, yeah, I've always had a tough time wrapping my head around writing prose because I've always felt like the truth is really vast and I'm always feeling like I don't know where to stop when I'm describing like a moment even, you know, you could kind of infinitely spread out from the moment and write. And that's the kind of stuff that makes, attracts myself or someone like myself to poetry and lyric writing because those are the kind of things that make a a lyric interesting or or abstract and beautiful but they don't tell stories very clearly at all Uh, you know just talking about the wood grain or (laughs) you know the the light in the room or something Mm -hmm. so once i got over that fear of writing prose and started really thinking about telling stories as clearly as I could in my own voice, like I would tell uh, my wife or my kids or my friends, uh, and just kind of reading things out loud. Uh, I really enjoyed it. I really, really thought it was, uh, I don't know, maybe want to write lyrics that were clearer.
1: Well, I imagine, that's <laughs> a, I imagine that's a constant thing is people, and that's sort of part of the experience of listening to music is we, we interpret what the musician maybe was intending and what the story is about. And we, we put ourselves onto it, but we're also like, what were they trying to say? Like, where did that come from? And yeah, this is like, this is it. It's fully laid out. You're just exposing more, right?
3: I guess. <laughs> yeah, I think I, I, I do talk a lot about uh, specific processes that I've used and things that generate words that... Our language that I find exciting. Um, some people have asked me about that in the book. Like, are you... Like, I'm giving away trade secrets, or like I'm a, you know, a trumpet player, like, covering my hands so no one can see my fingering or something. I don't think that any of it is that particularly novel. Uh, I learned a lot of writing exercises from reading books about writing and stuff like that. So... Um, but I also think that everybody in the world could use the same process. And if it's a good process, they'd all come up with different things. And I come up with different things using the same process over and over. So I hope it doesn't... It's not disillusioning. Because I. some people think of it as being... Uh, I don't know, you're like showing what's going on behind the curtain too much.
1: No, I love. I love it. I think everyone will be interested to know the behind the curtain. I think that's mm-hmm. why... Where we're buying the book, right? right? To a certain extent. I'm saying like because the, the music is sort of it's a joint experience and reading is too, but we're really getting more insight into, you know, it's very clearly put out. It's beautifully written. Oh yeah. thank um, you. <laughs> something you write about that I love and I feel like it's very clear in your music is that vulnerability is a superpower and is your superpower.
3: I'm yeah. That's what I'm, can't you tell right now? It's like it's <laughs> on full display.
1: No, but um, I just found that to be, even even saying that is vulnerable, do you know what I mean? Just to-
3: It makes me cringe, yeah, that, it's, uh, that I put it in the book and then people have like taken it out of the book and put it in poll quotes and articles It's, def- and stuff. it's a
1: poll quote, I've, I pulled it and I'm yeah. quoting it. It's all of it. <laughs>
3: Yeah, I, I think I think everybody is so much more fragile than they pretend to be all of the time. We bullshit each other so much all of the time. And I am grateful that at a very early age I found out that I wasn't capable of doing that. <laughs> that I wasn't really good at putting on a front and acting like I felt like I knew what I was doing <laughs> or or that I was comfortable. I couldn't I couldn't pretend to be that. Um yeah, I just tried to just go with it at that point and, and turn it into something that might be, I don't know, more positive. And one way, I think I was kind of assuming that everybody feels like that. And maybe I was wrong. I've kind of learned that there are people that aren't self-reflective at all and, and are, are pretty solid, but not many.
1: Not many. I no. think the majority of us are, are with you. I think so. Yeah. yeah. But I it's think... refreshing to hear, because you, you feel it in art when pe- someone is being vulnerable, but it's just kind of refreshing to discuss it, kind of. To well, be like... I mean, that, one of the
3: things that I know from traveling around and talking to people when, that like my band and like my music is um, that they have this feeling that, they're, uh, that you possess something that they don't have and that they want you to tell them how to get this thing that you have. And I thought if I could put it in the book that the thing that I have is the thing I think everyone has. And and that is, um, I don't know, the thing that you recognize in me that has drawn you to me, if you're a fan of my music, is that I think you recognize that part of yourself that is like un, uncomfortable, a little, little ill at ease. And, yeah, you, you and to it. And that's okay. You know. Yeah,
1: I love that. Mm-hmm. I f- I felt like I was reading it and I was like, I feel this.
3: I, you were reading it and saying, I feel ill at ease. <laughs> I
1: feel, I feel <laughs> ill at ease too. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Well, I mean,
3: art is art is really. One of the things that's really important about art is recognition, and and the when you recognize yourself in something, um, you feel less alone. And I and I I've talked about this a lot in interviews, and and maybe not everybody has read every interview, but it's I, you know it's an opportunity to kind of answer those questions in a book too.
1: Something that you um, write about that I felt like was extremely vulnerable and so important was that you write about dealing with mental health issues and dealing with anxiety and depression and addiction. And it was a unique perspective on that that made me feel very, again, relatable. And I was like, ugh, oh, this is, I'm understood.
3: Mm-hmm. Well, our ability to talk about mental health issues is getting a little bit better in this culture, I think, but it's still so stigmatized in general that it causes all kinds of needless suffering you know in my opinion it's like the worst thing that you can do if you are suffering is not have the ability to reach out and have and be inhibited from reaching out it's like the first thing everybody with a mental health issue has to do and if you discourage people from doing that that causes needless suffering for years until they it may be too late i don't know and and it, I'm really, I feel very lucky that I've been able to reach out in that way. So I think as a, as a person that struggled with depression and anxiety and addiction and things like that, I always, this is another thing, just like poet, I cringe at this like cliche of, oh, if I could help one person, it would be worth writing the book or something like that. But I do feel very strongly that having an opportunity to be a little bit more visible as a public figure and show... I don't know, be an example of somebody that got help and, and, and advocates for reaching out and trying to find people to help you. You can't, that's the thing that is really misunderstood about uh, in addiction and mental health, is if you could fix yourself, you would have done it a long time ago. And everybody that has those problems has to, has to have someone help them fix it.
1: There is this, uh, yeah. <laughs> I'm getting like so. Thank you. (laughs) Into I feel I feel a lot of pressure sometimes. People expect me to 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 be a funny interviewer, but I'm really so curious about like the more serious parts of your book. So I'm sorry. Yeah, no, that's okay. If I'm not being super
3: funny. Where are all the madcap questions? I don't
1: know. (laughs) I know. Um, (laughs) there was something in in when you were talking about being in, like, a group therapy session with someone. Sorry, I just have to... This was such an important thing to me because you wrote about how you were feeling guilty that your pain, like, why should... <laughs> uh, why should, you know, your pain is not as, as, as great as someone else's. Other people have been through way more. And that this man in the group said something to you... Can you can you tell that story? It it I felt like I was like, "Oh my gosh, what an incredible thing for him to say to you." And I cuz I feel that way too. Like
3: Yeah, I was I was apologizing to someone for not having good enough pain. <laughs> <laughs> really in 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 reality, that's what I was doing. I was feeling self-conscious because I was in a I was in a gnarly city hospital, you know, and it was There were some really harrowing stories in this group therapy session, and it was brutal. There were some really, really sad stories. It's not in the book, but one of the stories was a guy was talking to a group of addicts and, and mental health patients about how the first time he drank was when he was nine years old. His father shot his mother and gave him a bottle of whiskey because he thought if he made his son drink a bottle of whiskey, he would forget that he saw his father shoot his mother.
1: That's like one of the saddest things I've ever heard in my life. Exactly.
3: And so I'm like, I get sad sometimes. (laughs) Because I'm not sure if people like me. Uh, I had more to say than that, but, but the gist of it was basically that. And, and so there was a smoking room in this hospital. <laughs> it was that kind of hospital. <laughs> it, was a, it was a hospital with a smoking room. I've seen some shit, people. <laughs> but anyway, um, so I just like, oh, I feel... I feel so bad, I'm so sorry about the story you told. And I'm like, I don't know, I don't know if I belong here. I don't know, I, I feel, and he's like, you know, he's basically like, what are you trying to win suffering, <laughs> you know? And he was right, he was totally right. It's like, that's that's not what this is about. Suffering, he said, suffering is the same for everyone. It's all relative, it's just, you don't, know, you're not helping me by weighing your suffering against my suffering, you're helping me by being here for me when, I, when I'm suffering. And he was like, I'm here for you, you know, but you're thinking about yourself. You're thinking about whether your suffering is good enough or something like that. And he was, it was like, just, just the most incredibly insightful thing anyone's ever told me in my life. And it was, um, he was right. He was 100% right.
1: Wow. And wait, that's
3: the guy, the same guy. Wow. Yeah, that was a a guy that got kicked out of the hospital for not having, uh, for his insurance running out, too. You know, that was the saddest part of being in that hospital. A lot of people just, well, anyway, thanks for coming, everybody.
1: (laughs) Sorry, I really went in there, but I, I thought it was such an important, like, that just summed up so much for me in reading about your experience. I'll get into music stuff now. Um, <laughs> a, a few parts of the book go into your songwriting process, and there was something that I loved, and I'm going to pull another quote. Okay, so you wrote, I try to make, this is from um, page 178 for your references. <clears throat> I try to make something new, something that wasn't there when I woke up by the end of every day, and I found that to be... Awesome and, and like unbelievable to me. Like you, you wake up and you like. Can you not go to sleep before you create something?
3: Um, I'm kind to myself if it's a day where it just isn't gonna happen, or I'm. But in general, yeah, I like the idea that we ha- we all have that ability. That um, it doesn't have to be for a record. It doesn't have to be for like commercial release or consumption by other people even, we all have this ability to make something that wasn't there when you woke up, you know? And before you go to bed, there's a line of poetry or, I don't know, just even a a doodle on a piece of a napkin or something. That, to me, is really, um, really important to stay connected to the idea of creation, uh, that we're all we all possess that ability to kind of make something and improvise and, I don't know, create our own environments, create our own beauty. And it's not hard. It's not hard at all. Little kids do it all the time. And then for some reason, adults kind of lose their connection to it. But then again, there are, I don't know, but tons of people still play fucking softball. Even though they're shitty at sports. Yeah. You know? (laughs) Do you know what I mean? Like, it's just like... You're gonna play softball until you need new knees, but you, uh... I don't know. Softball's so stupid, you guys.
1: If you go from holding a softball to holding a baseball, you are like, shit, that's a big ball. To play with, you know?
3: (laughs) Exactly. No, it's like you've pretty much, you're just surrendering that you're not not very good. You need a bigger ball.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Um, Something I wanted to ask you about that I really related to is just the performance aspect. And
3: um... you don't want to, I want to tell you before you go any further, I remember the festival where we met. And and the way you described it, it made it sound like I was summoning you to our tour bus or something.
1: I did. Well, that's how I felt.
3: Oh my god, was, that's no, well, no, no!
1: Because I was like hanging around, like we were hanging out, and then Liz was like, "Yeah, like they, they're in," because you were like hang out and say hi after, because I didn't really yeah. get to meet you guys. And then she was confused I, that it was I was me. getting ready
3: to go to the stage, and and we we met, yeah. and you said. I was like, I had seen you, and I'm like, oh my god, I'm such a huge fan. And then I turned around, and you were standing there, and you were like, oh my god, I'm such a huge fan. And I, I was like, really shocked by that. But we were walking to the stage, and I was like, well, hang around, I want to, I want to meet you. And um, because Susie, my wife, met you yeah. in Chicago before I met you, and
1: I can't believe she came to that show.
3: <laughs> she came to the show with you and Ab, uh, you and Alana.
1: 14. A long time ago.
3: 2014? Yeah. Not that Well, anyway. I just just couldn't let that... That just so doesn't sound like me at all. It wasn't
1: like an order. It wasn't like an order. Abby,
3: Jeff would like to see (laughs) you.
1: No, it was more like she was confused that it was me versus Mm -hmm. anyone else at the show.
3: There are no women ever on our bus. Ever. Ever
1: true Uh, um where was i gonna go oh i was gonna okay as a performer Mm -hmm. um okay you wrote a little bit about how sometimes you kind of certain songs make you feel like you're taking on a little bit of a different person different version of yourself Mm -hmm. like an amplified version or they they take you in different places and i my question because i feel that way as well but my question is are you always aware of of which one you are going into the song? or And does it fluctuate song to song, or is it sort of like show to show, or how you're feeling in general?
3: Uh, you mean like um, how when you sing a lyric, you don't have to necessarily be yourself completely. You can be sort of an unreliable narrator or something like that.
1: And then sometimes well, you feel like you are being your most raw, honest version of yourself, but then you kind of... Can allow yourself to be like almost a persona.
3: Well, I I can actually can see a lot of similarities between singing some of my songs and the character you play on television. Is that's what you're?
1: Yeah, that's what I. Because yeah. it's
3: you, but not you.
1: Yeah, where I it's a lot of it is like the heart of me, mm-hmm. but then I get to like wear it all on my sleeve, kind of vibe.
3: Right. Yeah. There are some songs that I've written as an effort to, like, see if I can sidestep being this vulnerable, kind of wishy-washy guy <laughs> and come up with a little bit stronger person. I think I describe it in the book as, as someone who gets in more trouble and has more friends. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, like, there's like a Mark Twain quote, but yeah, I think, I mean, there's, it, it should it all has to feel real to me to sing it. And I, even more importantly, I kind of can't remember lyrics if they stop meaning anything to me. And um, so I try very hard to make lyrics have some emotional resonance, even if it's not autobiographical.
1: Cool. <laughs> cool. Okay. Okay. Um. One thing I really, really loved in this book is the way you write about your family. And you're in Susie's relationship and your son's, and I got to say, it made me want to have kids.
3: Really? (laughs) Yeah.
1: You guys are going to want to fucking have some kids.
3: (laughs) Yeah. If you're pretty sure you don't want kids, I would recommend you not read my book. Don't
1: read it. If you're on the fence...
3: You might get pregnant reading my you book. You might.
1: I mean, I had to be... I was careful. Yeah, it... The way that you write about... It's um, that
3: virile. <laughs>
1: <laughs> no, but I just... It felt like you manage being parents, but also friends with your kids. And um, just the, cre- like the creativity that's a part of your family and... The way that you—I are don't know your sons at all. Never <laughs> met him. One Sammy like ran by, and I was like, <laughs> we were both
3: like, hey. yeah, he's pretty, he's yeah. pretty preoccupied with something. I don't know, he's here somewhere. No,
1: but I felt like I got to know them reading the book, and mm-hmm. and just the ways in which you guys have raised them, and they've taught you so much. It, it really might be my favorite part of the book.
3: Oh, that's nice. Thank you. Yeah. Well, I mean, I grew up in a family with uh. Actually, as weird and, and as dysfunctional as my family was growing up, I, I did get the impression that people liked to be around each other, you know? Um, but nothing compares... Most of what I learned from my own family growing up, from my, my, my parents and my siblings, was what not to do. And my wife taught me most of what to do. Like really simple things like having as many meals together as possible. That wasn't something that ever happened in my house. We never ate meals together when I was growing up. Not even at Thanksgiving. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Where we, was everybody? No. You just we, go in and get it?
3: No, yeah. When we the first time Susie and I went to my parents' house for Thanksgiving, they um we came in and they said, Go ahead and make yourself a plate. <laughs> She's like, what? Make a plate? What are they talking about? I'm like, she, they mean make yourself a plate of food and go sit down and eat it somewhere. Because <laughs> that's what everybody's doing. So the food's just out all the time. There's no, yeah, it was a really weird thing. Uh, so it was really, I'd never had that behavior modeled for me. Oh, yeah, this is nice. I can, I can eat and talk to you. <laughs> I'm always a little suspicious of parents that have actively cultivated friendships with their kids. You know, I like to think that our kids like to hang out with us, but I don't want them to think of us as primarily their friends because that's kind of shirking your responsibilities as a parent.
1: Yeah, I didn't get that vibe, but mm-hmm. there, there's a level of, like, it feels like communication mm-hmm. that I'm not usually accustomed to between... Well,
3: uh, we never talked to them like they were super like stupid little kids and we um just love them so much you know that's the main thing i'm a, i'm a big believer in good enough parenting <laughs> you know not like hovering over them making sure they're in every every karate class and i don't know but, you know, the main, the main thing I think that kids really thrive on is having, having a close enough connection to their parents where they feel like they have a get-out-of-jail-free card at all times. Like, I don't want them to have to ever feel afraid to call us to get out of some situation or something like that. On that, that's really the main thing. You know, like, even when they're little, you know, just, like, keep that line of communication open so that when they get scared about something, they don't get scared about telling their parents about it.
1: Yeah. I loved reading all, like, every story from every band and just, like, the inner workings of of (laughs) band life is so romantic to me. It's not. (laughs) I know, but you get into that. (laughs) But I think it just is from... Mm-hmm. Our point of view, those of us who are not in bands, it's like, oh, uh, the the dramas and the touring and the buses and the, <laughs> you know, and then you write very honestly about, you know, the bad side of that and the tricky parts. And I wonder, um, you know, what's that like to be in a band with your son and how that does that relationship shift at all or and then and both both of them played with you last night.
3: Right. I don't feel like it does. I feel like there are, um, when, we when we're on stage together and when we're making music together, we're peers. You know, we, we are doing this thing that it doesn't, whoever you play music with, it doesn't matter if they've been playing for 30 years or 10, 10 minutes, you're still making something together. Uh, you're still putting something out into the air, <laughs> you know, that is one thing. I highly recommend it. <laughs> if you have anybody you can play music with it's it's a, it's, it's pretty good for you I think yeah you know it always confused me when people like in acting or or in bands or some other professions where they say oh I'm not going to let my kids do this this is just the worst and I'm like gave you joy your whole life what are you fucking talking about <laughs> it's like this is the thing that you loved so much why would you and they're always talking about the business and i get i get that i get wanting to dissuade your children from the hardships of of aspiring to fame or fortune but the the core of it, the, the joy of acting or the joy of writing or the joy of being a creative person and, and making music with people, that should just be a normal state of being, in my opinion, so.
1: Yep. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> so when we hung out on the bus, you were like, um, telling me how much you're interested in comedy. That's right. And in doing comedy, okay, there are this book is really fucking funny. Thank the, you. Especially the there in in the middle of the book, there are these conversations mm-hmm. that are really funny, like almost prefacing a very intense chapter. Mm-hmm. You have these conversations, and the way you framed it, and just throughout, there's a there's a through line of humor, which you know is your personality, but. You told me you want to, like, get into comedy, kind of, right?
3: <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's embarrassing.
1: <laughs> Not get into it, but you...
3: No, I, that's been a running joke in our household for a long time. It's like, I'm, I'm really wanting to break into acting. And I really am done with music, really. And that's just a running joke, because it's, it's absurd. But, like, sometimes I'll just tell, I don't know, like, I'm going to take some workshop classes in Venice...
1: I'm in gonna, Venice. I don't
3: know. Isn't that where actors go to learn their trade? I it don't know. It feels
1: like a... Yeah, that's like a... Where'd
3: I, you learn how to add? You were a
1: group really. here,
3: right? Yeah. Yeah.
1: But is it is it more than a joke, or is it like, why does it keep coming up? Yeah.
3: You know, the, the reason I say it is because every, every time I've been invited to be a part of that world, like, um, I'm friends with Fred Armisen, so... I was invited to be on Portlandia a few times and I was invited to be on Parks and Rec. And mm. and I've I've really just enjoyed that environment. It's a cool environment. I it's like it's probably how you would feel if you were invited to be in a band yeah. for a yeah. while. It's like it's 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 a nice environment. There's a lot of creative uh people doing something they enjoy doing and that's that's a real privilege to get to be a part of something like that. So yeah, since since I've had those Experiences, I have tried to get more, but my reel isn't particularly <laughs> persuasive. <laughs> I, still, I still look like Pee Wee Herman working as the bellhop and the raging Mr. Miller That's what I feel like my scenes look like.
1: No, I think I think you have a budding comedy career.
3: I hope so, yeah.
1: Really? <laughs> Okay, I'm going to, I'm moving into audience questions, but before I do, mm-hmm. is there anything I really missed? Obviously, you write in great detail about music and touring and your, the, the whole history. Yeah, is there anything that, that I missed that you're like, we got to talk about that? No, I don't, I don't,
3: I don't know what you're all doing here. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, you I'm, do? I'm, 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 no, I'm honest about, I mean, well, thank you for coming. Uh, but I, I, And I feel pretty confident that I put things in the book that would be interesting if I was yeah. able to sit down with someone who cared about my career. But this is only the second one of these I've done. You've done a whole bunch of book events. So this is a specific type of event that's very new to me. So I, I'm trying to get a good read on what...
1: It's very hard to tell. From, I just got off of a week of doing these. You can't really tell, but I I, I selfishly asked you questions that I thought were really interesting. It's very rare to get, get one-on-one here.
3: No, it's great. I, yeah. I enjoyed I enjoyed our our talk.
1: Me too. I, I enjoyed our talk too. All right, let's see what, what you guys re- got. I will here. say
3: this reminds me a little bit of the band Tweety when we were on tour in... Uh, the Netherlands, we played We played one of the worst things anyone's ever ever invented. This f- reminds
1: you of that?
3: This reminds me, yeah. <laughs> cool,
1: cool, 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 n- cool. Cool, no,
3: that sounds good. N- no, this, <clears throat> let me finish. <laughs> this is, this, it just reminds me of it, it's not as bad.
1: Okay. Great, it's not as bad, that's great, it's not as bad. <laughs> <laughs>
3: um, it was a book and music festival. So we went on after a poet had read to an audience for about 30 minutes, and so by the time we came out to play, the audience was has, was really not amped up. <laughs> they, they, have been, they have been amped down, and so every after every song, it was like um, like you just sank a nice putt. Snaps, yeah. You know, just. <laughs> Smattering of applause. (laughs) And so at the end of the show I said, well, thanks for coming out. I'm gonna be real honest with you. You've been a very difficult audience. (laughs) 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 And one time somebody said, What did you expect with Dutch? (laughs) And I'm like, that's what you want to be fucking known for? (laughs) Being withholding? Anyway, this is so much better than that. Mm. Mm.
1: <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, started off real serious here. Uh, hey, Jeff. What yes? is your ideal breakfast? <laughs> Barry. This, this is Barry's question.
3: Um. I don't eat a lot of breakfast, to be honest. I get up in the morning, I, I don't know, cold pizza probably. That's pretty gross, but yeah.
1: Okay, okay.
3: Yeah. I've eat, I, I, can't eat, I can't eat cereal anymore. Uh, if I eat cereal, I have a hypoglycemic attack by, the, by about two o'clock in the afternoon. And it I,
1: is like a, am I wrong, but it was marketed as a healthy breakfast for so long, and now that we know it's not, yeah. yeah, I haven't bought it in years cuz I'm like this is bad news. No, it's e- like eating chips for breakfast. Yeah,
3: even the healthy cereals, even the ones yeah. that are, are like, you know, supposed to be good for you or you they still try and convince you they're good for you. Yeah, I feel like shit. I just can't do it. Yeah. So pizza it is. Great. <laughs> <you're> <laughs>
1: <good>. <laughs> <laughs>
3: because I'm super mm-hmm. health conscious.
1: Yep. <clears throat> <laughs> <laughs> All right, here we go. Our first and only this is an interesting way to put it. our first and only child is arriving in less than a month. What Wilco slash Tweety song should we play him on his first night home from the hospital? Thanks, Marcy and John.
3: <laughs> They're asking me, not you.
1: <laughs>
3: okay. And my advice would be to not play any music for a newborn. What are you nuts? <laughs> Give it a little time. <laughs> That's, I say that, but Susie and I took uh, Spencer directly from the hospital to Lounge X, the rock club that she owned. So um, I think any of them are really appropriate for newborns, actually. So almost any, any Bull Black Nova, perhaps.
1: <laughs> okay. Hi, Jeff. Hi. <laughs> does performing ever seem like a job or do you still love what you do every night? I think this is from Pete.
3: Pete, I, it does not ever feel like, well, actually, you know what? What's wrong with a job? It's actually, a, it is sometimes a job. It's like uh, I, a job I really love to do and I feel really grateful to be there. I honestly do, every night. It's impossible, it's unnatural to play music on a tour. Uh, the way rock touring is set up, playing the, every night, There's. it's almost impossible by the end of like 30 shows to not have some songs get into a rote state where you're thinking about whether or not you have any pizza to heat up on the bus after the show. <laughs> Like, I like pizza a lot. We've been eating a lot of pizza in Brooklyn. Um, uh, but, but the thing that's really great about music is you can't do that for very long or you're going to really mess up. I actually have caught myself thinking about where did I leave my keys when I left town or something like that. And, and, and In the
1: middle of In all the middle
3: the- of singing and doing... It's like you can <laughs> think about so many things... I don't ever really think about the lyrics. Actually, (laughs) this is a confessional. I don't, none of it means anything to me, you guys. I was writing this book while I was on tour, on stage while I was performing. (laughs) Now, honestly, but you have to snap out of it and you have to like figure out ways. I mean, you change the setup, you have to figure out ways to kind of combat that, but I love being in the studio, that's the thing that feels the most creative to me and the and most sustaining. But I would feel awful if I never... I feel like you have to stay connected to an audience. You have to feel, I don't know, you have to feel what it feels like to have a song be listened to. I don't know how to explain it better than that.
1: I think that's right on. Yeah. Okay, <clears throat> is there a subliminal message in any Wilco song? Specifically, I'm always in love. Thanks, Joe.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Joe. Lay off the pipe, Joe. (laughs) I don't know what he... There is a a background vocal, I believe, on that song that says smoke pot. (laughs) It's not as controversial as it once
0: was.
3: (laughs) It was never controversial.
1: Okay, if you could have done something completely different with your professional life, what would it have been?
3: This is the answer that we always, we, by we, I mean me and my wife always give. (laughs) uh, Foot model. (laughs) Believe it or not. You can't see them through these shoes and these socks, but I've got fine feet, <laughs> awesome feet. So, I'd have to do like an antifungal cream commercial or…
1: Flip-flops?
3: Like an after. Yes. Not a before, not a, not a fungus foot. I have a really good after ointment foot. If anyone is part of any ad agency out there.
1: I know some people. (laughs) (laughs) Let
3: me take my shoes off here. It's the last thing I have to myself. (laughs) After this book, that's it.
1: (laughs) Um, Okay. Do you have any memories of Maxwell's in Hoboken? Miller Smith.
3: I have many memories of Maxwell's in Hoboken. Um, what's the next question? We played there a lot. I mean, I kind—I honestly can't make myself think of just one. I mean, like it's—it's it's just a real special place. You guys all know that, right? Yeah. And it's you know. And at the same time, it was a real hassle. <laughs> there was a, for, for bands, it could be a real hassle. There wasn't really... I just remember being uncomfortable and then having great shows. I. <sighs> have What's that? <laughs> Todd's here. Yeah, I know.
1: Uh, John G. asked... How do you feel about hecklers at your solo shows? (laughs) (laughs) Love
3: them. (laughs) Who doesn't love a heckler? I
1: mean, yeah, they really are great.
3: You know, I recommend heckling. Whenever you come see me, please heckle me. It makes me know that you care. (laughs) No, you shouldn't do that. What What is up with that? I don't know. I... I actually don't mind that there's an audience that seems, especially when I, when I play by myself acoustic, that comes and starts to get this, like, kind of familiarity with me that they feel comfortable talking to me during the show, sometimes during the songs. Um, I think that's really sweet and endearing, but it can get out of hand pretty quick, uh, quickly. So... Um, there's a fine line to walk, but heckling is something different. Heckling is you're trying to be the show. Don't do that. Don't.
1: John G. John. It's interesting that you would you, ask this Are you a heckler?
3: <laughs> are you a self identifying yeah. heckler?
1: I wonder if he's asking because he's like, Should I stop?
3: <laughs> <laughs> it's a cry for help. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> No, this is, it's a really thought-provoking question, yeah. Yeah. Um, what the fuck is wrong with hecklers? <laughs> I've cursed a lot, and I feel bad about it. I have cursed
1: it. so much.
3: I feel bad about it, because we're, we're like in, a in synagogue. this temple. So, sorry about that.
1: Yeah, I'm apologizing as well. Well, I'm out of audience questions. I guess these are, full, that's a full stack. That's I wasn't stack. given, We but... don't have
3: time to go through all of those.
1: Abby Jacobson.
3: So awesome. Thank
0: you. Abby Jacobson, Jeff Tweedy, thank you so much again for joining us here on the Talkhouse podcast. Listeners, make sure you pick up Abby's fantastic I Might Regret This: Essays, Drawings, Vulnerabilities, and Other Stuff that is in bookstores now.
2: And of course, also pick up Jeff's new book, Let's Go, in parentheses, so we can get back a memoir of recording and discording with Wilco, etc. and his new record, Warm.
0: I'm thinking some late Hanukkah gifts, early Christmas gifts. Nick, what do you think? There is an abundance of goodness out there. Pick it up for your family, people. <laughs> for some great behind-the-scenes pictures from this episode, definitely check us out on all socials. It's just at Talk House. Elliot, since you're in Chicago, we should,
2: of course, mention that there is an upcoming event coming there soon.
0: Yes, we here at TalkHouse are very psyched to be a part of the fantastic Tomorrow Never Knows Festival that takes over Chicago's north side once every year. And Nick, I will say, we're not allowed to announce yet, but we have some very special guests for this live TalkHouse podcast recording. I am officially excited. (laughs) Listeners, you can stay abreast of all details there at TalkHouse.com slash events. This episode was recorded by Mark
2: Yoshizumi with Eric Lemke and Justin Robowski at the beautiful Murmur Theater in Brooklyn. I was recorded here in Chicago by Brian Schwab. And I was fortunate enough to have Mark Yoshizumi record me at Hook and Fade. Thanks, Mark, and also for co-producing.
0: The Talk House podcast theme song was composed and performed by The Range. Big, big thanks to Brian Kelly and everyone at Murmur for collaborating with the Talk House on this week's episode. We love you guys. Till next week, I'm Elliot Einhorn. I'm Nick Dawson. Peace.